The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Doug Birch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So how willing are you to admit that you're wrong? Like really wrong? Like profoundly wrong? Who can challenge you when it comes to being wrong? Will you listen to your spouse, your children, your friends, a pastor, a radio show host? On today's Fairly Spiritual Show, we're going to look at the problem with being terribly wrong and how the gospel confronts us in our wrongness by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul on today's show. Dr. Doug Bursch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So glad you could join me. We air this show on Fridays and Sundays. Hope you're enjoying your summer. Uh, So uh, what if I said this to you? You are terribly wrong. What if I just looked you in the eyes or, yes, looked you in the ears right now and said, you are terribly wrong. How would you feel? You're not feeling too good. Maybe if I said this, I'm terribly wrong. You feel better with that, right? If I say I'm wrong, uh, we don't like people to tell us that we're in the wrong. Who can really confront us when we're in the wrong? And on today's show, I want to talk about this. Maybe someone listening, of course it's not you, it's it's the other person, but maybe someone listening to today's show is profoundly wrong. Maybe we believe something really passionately, very strongly, that's completely wrong. And if anyone were to confront us in our thinking, we'd get really upset. We'd get mad at them. We'd, we'd feel like we're being judged. We may never talk to that person again. We may never listen to this radio show again because how dare you confront me in my wrongness. That's what we're going to talk about on today's show. And, you know, by the end, maybe no one will like me. But this is the stuff that I've been dealing with, our God's been dealing with in me. And uh, particularly as I've looked at the story of the Apostle Paul or the origin story of the Apostle Paul, if you're into superhero films, The Apostle Paul is not a superhero, but we have an origin story for him, and it starts with a man who thinks he's right, who thinks he knows the way. At some level, he thinks he knows what he's supposed to do, or at least he's trying to do something to be righteous before God. He thinks he understands what a righteous response is, and he's completely wrong. Yet he doesn't know that he's completely wrong until he's confronted face-to-face with the presence of God as he's going to Damascus to basically persecute more Christians. But before we get to that, uh, I want to give you opportunity to connect with the show. You can text me. You can say, hey, Doug, I listen to the show. I like it. I'd like for you to continue to broadcast on this station. Uh, Way to go. If you want to text me, here's the number, 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. 4513. I don't know if you know the law of radio, but you have to say it at least three times, the number. So it's 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. Also, uh, I so much appreciate the kindness of some of my regular listeners. Uh, Last week, I had a couple people donate $25 
Uh, one person donated $100. That is huge. Thank you. We stay on the air if each week someone does something like that. It's that simple and it's that powerful. If you feel like, I don't know how to change this culture. I don't know how to deal with what's going on in the world. Uh, I don't know how to make a difference. You can make a difference. If you like the attitude of this show, if you like the spirit of the show, if you think it's a better spirit, like one of the things we do is we don't spend a bunch of time just talking about what's wrong with them. I don't like doing that. You know, what's, what's wrong with those people? And we, we don't rally around what's right with us and what's wrong with them. We try to talk about the areas we need to grow. And if you think we need more of that in our culture, if you think, and that's kind of important, Christians need to look at the plank in their own eyes instead of the speck in other people's eyes. We need to start with repentance in our own homes before we go out and tell everybody what to do. If you think revival occurs when we deal with our own stuff and there needs to be more programming like that, then I need your help and your support. So I'm talking to you. If that resonates with your heart, could you pray and could you donate and support this show? You go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's the website, fairlyspiritual.org. It's just a smallly run, small run program. I run the website. I try to keep things going. You can donate through there at fairlyspiritual.org. Your donation goes to keep programming on the radio for the podcast, for the radio program to move forward. So please pray about it. If you want to keep this on the air, we need your donations today. That's how it works. Go to fairlyspiritual.org. You can also pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. I'd love for you to read that, particularly if you struggle being in community. It's not one of those books that says, you know, you're a bad person if you don't go to church. I, as a pastor, struggle being in community. In the summer, it's been tough because half the people are on vacation. There's some Sundays where I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can deal with this. I don't like being hurt. I don't like investing in people and they disappear. I don't like having people complain about what a you know terrible pastor I am. I, I, don't, I don't like feeling that way. I don't like failing people. I just sometimes don't like being around people. But I know that I can figure out who I am and who God is in community, that I was created for community. And so that's what this book is about. So if you're one of those people who struggles with community, then you can find out how to pick up the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get that at Amazon, or you can find links at the website, fairlyspiritual.org. Well, enough with the bulletin announcements. Let's just get into today's topic. So, uh, being completely wrong. Now, of course, you're not completely wrong, but there's probably someone else listening to the show who is. I I've thought about this. How willing are we to have anyone confront us in our wrongness? Let's be honest about this. Do you really let your spouse confront you? Like, really, do you let your spouse just confront you with wrongness? Or is the first thing you do is become defensive? Do you let your kids do that? How do you feel when your kids point out your mistakes or your failures or your faults? Do you enjoy that? Or do you get irritated and upset and complain? Do you say, hey, you know, who's putting food on the table? Like, how do you respond when your children point out your faults? What about your friends? Some people only maintain friendships with people when their friends don't point out anything. And once a friend does point out something, they no longer have a friendship. What about your pastor? Have you come to your pastor? You know, I've pastored for 20 years, and I've, I, I can barely remember people coming to me and saying, Hey, pastor, I want you to speak into my life in this way. If you see something in my life that you think is broken, 
Or if you think there's an area in my life that I could improve in my marriage, or in my relationship with Jesus, or in the way I treat others, or in the way I treat my kids, I want you to speak into that area. You know, people will receive general sermons and general teachings, but I haven't found people say, you know, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? We just don't do that. In fact, uh, I found if you do that, people get really upset. I tell a story in my book about this that I, early on in ministry, I remember this couple where their, their, their children were just continually getting into conflict with people. Conflict at school, conflict in the neighborhood, conflict in the church. And we're, we're a real low-key church. We're, we're a small, low-key church. I've never, you know, asked anyone to leave. I think, I, I think two people I asked to leave where they were restraining orders on visitors. And I was just like, dude, you know, you can't be here because there's already a restraining order on you. You need to go somewhere else. That's the extent to what I've done in the last 20 years. But these kids, you know, they were just constantly getting into conflict. And so I remember politely saying something as their parents were in my office, which I don't have this office anymore because it was so traumatic even having this experience. But I remember saying, do you, do you consider me your pastor? And they said, yeah. I said, would you like my opinion? And I said, okay. I said, in my opinion, again, you know, this isn't thus saith the Lord. I said, in my opinion, this issue might not be about the issue it might be about your children. And then I was going to get into this, you know, there's some areas. You know, th that was it. I was just going to talk about, you know, there's some things with your, your children where they keep getting in conflict and we got to deal with this. You know, I, I didn't hate her kids. I wasn't going to, you know, lay a guilt load on. That was the, the way I talked about it. Immediately, the person swears at me, slams her hand down on the, the desk and leaves the office and slams the door. And then her husband follows after and I, and I realized that no matter how you treat people, how nice you are, how gracious you are, how loving you are, people do not want corrected. They don't want you to point out any faults, any failings. I'll say general things on this radio program where I don't know who's listening, and people will write back our text really mean, hurtful things to me, upset about some general thing I said as if I personally called them by name and attacked their family. We don't like anything that confronts us in a way where we might say, oh, I look like I'm doing something wrong. And, and I get like that, too. I get defensive. I don't want to look wrong. But are we willing to allow the Lord to search our hearts and to look at our lives and to actually point out where we truly are in the wrong? And are there areas in our life where we are truly in the wrong and it's causing some really bad fruit in our life. I think about the Apostle Paul with this. In Romans 1, 16-17, Paul says this amazing statement. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now that's an incredibly powerful passage. You could preach a whole sermon series. You could preach a year on that passage. But often, Americans skip over the part of the ashamed part. He says, I'm not ashamed. We kind of think of like, oh, you know, that's just kind of a statement someone says to introduce a good point. You know, I'm not ashamed. But in Paul's society, honor and shame were big things. So he's not using this word lightly. He lives in an honor-shame culture where it was very important to look honorable to everyone and not to do anything that was shameful. 
Well, for Paul's friends and family, the people that he knew before he surrendered his life to Christ, many of them were calling Paul shameful. They were saying, you've turned away from your your true principles. You were a true Pharisee. You were a true follower of God's law. You stood for justice. You stood for rightness. And now you've abandoned all that. And now you're living this other way, this Christian way. And you should be ashamed. But Paul says, I know that I have radically changed my perspective on the world. And in other places, Paul talks about being a new creation. Paul basically is saying, I know that I was incredibly wrong, but I'm not ashamed of that revelation. I'm not ashamed of the decisions I've made based on that revelation. I've made a very honorable choice. Understanding and admitting to my faults, recognizing that I was in the wrong, was the best decision I could make. There's nothing shameful about what I've done because I've found the answers that I've been looking for. I found that I was terribly wrong, and that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Well, what did Paul find out about wrongness? Well, Paul had this strong conviction that he understood. He had these questions about God, and Paul had these questions uh, about God that weren't like villainous questions. They were good questions. We have this idea about Paul that he was this murderous, evil, wicked man before Christ, and then he was this gentle, loving, gracious man after Christ. That's not the story of Paul. Paul had really good questions before he met Christ. He had really good motivations before he met Christ, but he had the wrong answers. For instance, Paul knew that God is holy and righteous and that he was going to judge every sin and that everyone had fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul didn't know, how is God going to establish his righteousness and yet we've all sinned? And so before Christ, Paul just thought, well, I'm going to live to be the best Pharisee, the most righteous person. I'm going to do the law better than anyone else. I'm going to follow God better than everyone else. I'm going to be the best Pharisee, the best follower of God's law on the planet, and maybe I'll receive some grace to be able to enter into God's presence. That was the wrong answer to a good question. Paul also understood that the scripture said eventually God was going to dwell with his people on earth and that the people would be able to dwell with the glory of God. Yet again, Paul is saying, how can God dwell with an unholy people? So again, his answer is, well, I'm just going to live a really good, righteous life, and I'm just going to live better than everyone else. Paul also understood that the scripture said eventually Gentile and Jew were going to be brought into the plan of God. Yet he didn't understand how this would occur. And so at some level, he probably thought, well, I guess Gentile and Jew are just going to have to follow God's laws really well. So Paul had all these really good questions but he had the wrong answers. And this is important for each of us to recognize because some of you have really good questions. And maybe you even had really good intentions to pursue those questions, but your answers might be terribly wrong. And can anyone confront you in the answers or the choices you've made? See, what happens with Paul is we know that Paul was not, he didn't even have a guilty conscience about the answers that he had for the questions before he met Christ. It says that Stephen was martyred, uh, stoned, that you know, after Stephen gave this, this powerful gospel message, they, they murdered him, they stoned him, this brutal murder, and Paul looked on with glee. Paul did not have a crisis of conscience. He was happy that Stephen was martyred, so happy that he asked for permission to pursue Christians 
to the far reaches of Judea. He, he, he asked for permission to go to Damascus and to track down Christians who fled because of the persecution that Paul had started. Paul adamantly believed that he was in the right and everyone else was in the wrong. This isn't someone who's like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. He thought, yes, I know that God is righteous, God is holy, and these Christians are in the wrong, and this Jesus is in the wrong, and I am in the right. It was not until he confronted the presence of Jesus that he realized he was in the wrong. And we see this in Acts 9, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for a letter from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's any of these Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, he happened. it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So Paul was confronted with the presence of Jesus, and he was confronted with the fact that he was completely wrong. And the presence of Jesus blinded him. And I wanted to do today's show just with this, that maybe some of us need to be confronted with the fact that we're completely wrong. Maybe we're just wrong. I know for some people it's really hard that we don't even want to think about this and we get defensive, but, but maybe there are areas of our life where we're just completely wrong. And we need to be blinded. We just need to be blinded. I've found that people tend to not change their lives until something happens like a sickness occurs or they're financially destitute or there's, their, their spouse leaves them or their kids say, I hate you and, and run away from the home. Until something terrible happens, people are unwilling to truly look at their lives and say, maybe I'm in the wrong. Let's not wait for that. Maybe let's wait not for the pastor or for your kids or your spouse or your friend or even yourself to confront yourself. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to confront us. Let's ask the presence of Jesus to confront us and to search our hearts and to search our minds. And if there is any wicked way in us, if there is any way that is contrary to the kingdom of God, that is actually putting us as enemies of the kingdom of God, that we would allow Christ to confront that in us, to confront us in such a way that we are blinded. And I love that concept of blinding because for Paul, it's like Jesus just saying, you don't know. You just got to start over. You just don't know. And I think some of us just need to start over. We just need to start over. We, we've built this big, elaborate theology. We've built this elaborate idea of what's right and what's wrong, and we're contending and fighting against everyone, and we have these strong opinions, and we're, we're, but the fruit of our life is not the kingdom. And we need to welcome the correction of Jesus, where we just spend one, two, three days just mourning, just blind, just like, I don't know. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a spouse. I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know how to be a friend. I don't know how to exist in the church. I don't know how to exist as a Christian in this world. I don't know. 
I'm just going to wait upon Jesus. We know later that, that Paul's eyes are opened as Ananias comes to him and prays for him. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he sees. But I don't want to preach about that today. I don't want to talk about that today. I just want us to embrace a season of blindness, a season of death. Could you embrace that? That maybe, this might not be for everyone here, but I think it's for someone where you would just welcome Jesus to say, hey, you don't got it. Life, where you're at right now, this isn't it. And at some level, you know that. Like, right now as I'm talking, you know that. You know God's confronting you, and you're knowing, this is not what your marriage is supposed to be. This is not what your single life is supposed to be. This is not how parenting is supposed to be. This is not how you're supposed to be relating with your neighbors. This is not, the way you spent your week is not how you were created to live. The way you exist with the things around you, the things you're consuming, the things you're looking at, the things you're engaging, this is not what you were created for. And you need the Lord come to you and just blind you, blind you to that life and say, no more, no more. You need new eyes. You need new vision. You need, new tr- you need a new understanding or you need an understanding what is truly the truth, what is truly the way, what is truly life, what is truly light. And even as I'm saying stuff, you're still contending against me. Okay, take me out of the picture. Take your pastor out of the picture. Take your past out of the picture. Can God speak to you today? Is there a reckoning that needs to occur where God needs to speak to you today? Is there something God needs to say to you today? Is there something? Because I get it. You can't even confront yourself. If you confront yourself, it might just be you looking in the mirror going, I'm a terrible person, I'm doing it all wrong, and what's wrong with me? Or it might be justifying and defending. We can't defend ourselves. We don't have a proper perspective. We don't have the right wisdom. Our spouse, no matter how long you're with someone, your spouse still doesn't really know what you need. And it's dangerous when we're trying to be each other's God, when we're trying to help the other spouse, and this is what you need to do, and this is what you need. And it's, and it's so dangerous when a pastor becomes our spiritual authority. And oh my word, it's dangerous if someone on the radio becomes your spiritual authority or someone on a podcast becomes your spiritual authority. But I still believe what happened in Acts can happen today. That you can be walking towards a destination thinking, this is right, I'm in the right, this is what I should be doing, they're all wrong, just completely clear in your conscience And Jesus can confront you and say, you are working against me. I want you to blind you to that life and to bring you into a new life, a new awareness. For Paul, that new awareness was righteousness is not something you work for. Righteousness is a gift of grace from God. For Paul, it was an awareness that he could not earn the righteousness of God, that it was a free gift given by God, a grace gift, that Jesus had paid the price for his sins, that he had brought all justice needed for every sin, and therefore justified all sinners so that they could abide with God in fellowship, so that the righteousness of God could be established on earth, and so that men and women could dwell with God, and so that Jew and Gentile could come together into the same promise that was given to Abraham, 
Paul found the answers that he'd been searching for his whole life. But in order to find the answers, he had to give up on his rotten answers. He had to die to his rotten answers to make room for the light and the life of God's answers. Are you willing to do that today? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would blind us so that we could see you. May we spend some time in the darkness of our own eyesight so that our eyes can open to the light of your eyesight. Help us not see with our eyes so that we can see with your eyes. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives as your will is done in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Please text me, 360-818-4513. This show has touched your heart, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. And if the Lord has told you to donate for the show, then we need your donation. Go to fairlyspiritual.org and donate today. That's fairlyspiritual.org, fairlyspiritual.org. Click on the donation page and donate today. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He can open your eyes to his wonder and his beauty. I will see you next time. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.